I'm going to level with you. I don't know if it's because we're back due to popular demand or if it's some sort of contractual obligation with New Zealand football and Sky Sport, but here we are for season two of the Kiwi Football Fix. And on episode one today, we've got a glorious comb over mullet courtesy of Auckland Lockdown. I am going to get a haircut in the next week or so. Very much looking forward to that so you don't have to see this horrible barnet. Uh, past this first episode. Um, on the show today, though, forget about my hair. Just try and put it to one side. On the show today, we go into Korea. The football ferns, after a relatively successful trip to Canada, they take on Korea in two matches. They'll be broadcast live on Sky Sport. Betsy Hassett is our guest. We also hear from the voice of football in Aotearoa, Jason Pine, a man who needs no real introduction, unless, of course, you're introducing him for the first time and you don't have a picture of him, which I don't yet, but we will get vision of him shortly. But up first, it's oh captain, my captain, Alex Rufer, the skipper of the Wellington Phoenix men's side. How are you and, and how does it feel to be full-time skipper of the A-League men's side? I'm really good, thanks, mate. Um, yeah, look, just really proud, eh? Um, you know, got a great bunch of boys and, as I said, just really proud to be the captain and, um, you know, just want to do my best. How did it feel running out there for the first time against MacArthur? Yeah, a little bit of nerves, to be honest, but, look, my, my process was just, um, look, just give as best as I can and don't change anything and just play the game as it comes. Look, in terms of your captaincy experience, Alex, um, you've been vice-captain of the Wellington Phoenix men's side for a number of years, but in terms of out-and-out -out captaincy, what has it been before now? Look, for me, I, I captained the reserve team a few times uh, many years ago and then um, kind of made my way into the first team and, you know, as you said, just progressed into vice-captain after a few years and, look, now we're here, so... Um, look, I feel prepared and as I said, we've got a great bunch of boys and that helps massively and, you know, I've, I know they've got my back, so yeah, it's been good so far. What's your style? Like, do you lead through your actions or do you like to bark at people? Do you like to bark at the referee? What, what's the style that you have? Oh, I try to stay clear of the referees, you know, because look, at the end of the day, they're, they're out there just, you know, doing their best and once they've made a decision, you can't really change it, you know. Um, so look, I, I try to lead by example and you know, a lot of talking, but look, we've got a we've got a few leaders in the group, which makes it makes it easier, you know, as well. So, um, you know, I've always said to the boys, look, you know, the more leaders on the field we have, the better we'll be. So, um, yeah, look, as I said, just I just try to take it day by day, don't change anything, and um, you yeah, just get on with the business. Who's in that leadership group? Am I thinking the likes of David Ball, Gary Hooper, for example? Yeah, you, you said it, mate. Just right down the middle. Um, obviously, Ollie Sale right at the back. He sees the game. He's been here for many years. He's got experience. And, look, he, he talks a lot, which helps. Tim Payne, you know, David Ball, Louis Fenton, Gary Hooper. You know, those are the those are the main ones. But, look, I've always said it as well, even to the young lads, Ben Wayne, the ones who are playing every week. Uh, if you can lead as well by example and, and through your actions, it just helps the team and just, you know, adds a bit of value. So it's really good. Like a lot of Wellington Phoenix football fans, I was sat there at the weekend watching the game and in the build-up. The, um, the buggers across the ditch, they actually attributed the captaincy to Clayton Lewis. I don't know if you've heard that, but, um, I mean, how does that make you feel? O on your debut as full-time skipper, and they're saying that Clayton Lewis is the captain. Yeah, look, Clayton was pretty quick to uh, remind me of that. I didn't say <laughs> until he mentioned it. Um, you know, he thought it was a bit of a gig. 
Um, but no, look, look for me personally, it, it doesn't really bother me. Of course, it's nice to have the you know the captain sort of accolade next year. But look, as I said, it doesn't really bother me. Clayton's a great player, and as I said, he gave me a bit of stick for it. But you know, that's all good. What does it mean to you uh, on a personal level um, to to carve out or to continue to carve out your own roofer history? Because Look, for whatever reason, um, you know, your name is mentioned in a broadcast and Australian commentators are going to say, Alex Rufer, of course, he's the son of Shane and the nephew of Winton. Winton, of course, was the Oceania player of the century. Uh, so, so how important is it to you to almost differentiate yourself from your other family members? Yeah, look, I've had that from a very young age. Um, there's always been a lot of pressure that comes with that. Um, but look... As, I, as I've gotten older, I've, you know, learned to deal with it and I try to just, as you said, just, just carve out my own career and, um, you know, don't think too much about that. Um, you know, just give, give my best every day and, look, I'm really, really proud to now be the captain of the club because I've been here for many years and, you know, I love it here. I love the club and, uh, you know, they gave me a massive opportunity when I first came and now they've given me an even better opportunity now. So, you know, I just want to repay them and thank them with uh, good performances. I, I must admit I was a, a little bit taken aback when I was, I was reading the story about uh, you taking on board the captaincy and they listed the, the Wellington Phoenix skippers over history. Ross Aloisi, Andrew Durante, Stephen Taylor, Ulysses de Vila. There's only been four b before you and none of them have been Kiwi born and raised. So how important is it to you and your friends and family and the, the members of the Wellington Phoenix Club that we've actually got somebody who knows New Zealand football and Wellington Phoenix football inside and out. I think it's really special. Look, I, as you said there, you know, I've been at the club with a lot of those captains, bar Ross Aloisi, and you know, I've learned off the very best and I've tried to pick little things from each of them. You know, I'm still in contact with all of them as well. They're all great people. And look, um, for me, I'm just really, really proud. Um, I think it's, you know, I think it's massive that it's a Kiwi. Um, and look, I'm just the lucky one. I think, you know, I'm very blessed that I've got this opportunity and I just want to give my best every day, as I said, and, you know, um, make sure that I, that I keep it. Well, I wish you all the best for the rest of the season in that captaincy role, Alex. I hope it goes really, really well and you just continue to, to grow with that uh, captain's armband uh, around your arm. Look, let's talk about the, uh, the game itself, the first game of the season against MacArthur. I mean, what a... <laughs> we were calling it the uh, Ulysses de Vila derby. Uh, Incredible that you come up against the former skipper in the first game of the new season. How was that, uh, trying to uh, get a, a, a handle on the former skipper of the Wellington Phoenix in the middle of the park there? Look, there was a little bit of noise about, obviously, early uh, coming up to the game, you know, as, as, as you're aware. Um, but, look, I, I told the players and, you know, I was very focused on just doing my job. And, you know, the way we play, we uh, try to nullify spaces for players like him and... Um, Look, as you said, it's, we were lucky that, you know, we had him first game. So, look, we just did our best. We worried about ourselves and um, doing the best we could. There seemed to be a period just after half time where MacArthur got back into it. But outside of that 15, 20-minute window, I felt, and, and talking to others, Jacob Spoonley, Jason Pine, um, they felt that the Wellington Phoenix did a really good job on limiting Ulysses de Vila de Villa's impact on the game was it all about um, cutting the ball off at its source so you know putting pressure on the ball so that he, he, he would never receive it yeah look exactly that um, I think for the most part we defended extremely well um, and you know when Uli did get the ball 
you know, we need to pressure on him straight away. We can't let a player like that with uh, have you know time and space to pick his passes. So I think for the most part we um, we did do that. Um, but as I said, I think you know most of the game we actually made them go wide and cross, and they only had one player in the box. So for us, that was I think that's you know that was our job done. You know, if they're going wide and away from our goal, I think that's you know that's perfect for us. That defensive unit effort was simply outstanding. Uh, you play, played a lot without the ball but um, very few chances given to the MacArthur uh, strikers. Uh, and, and, you know, when you talk about the pre-season, the, the late departure of Stephen Taylor, it didn't seem to matter on game day. The likes of Tim Payne and Laws, they really rose to the occasion, didn't they? Well, look, as you said, um, you know, losing Stevie was a big loss, but I think the good thing is, is that all the players have now stepped up, you know, not just one or two, everyone. And um, the way we play, as you said, we defend as a team, as a unit. And I think, you know, there wasn't a player out there that didn't do his job. And, um, you know, that's really, really good. The lads who came off the bench, you know, they were fantastic. You know, and just everyone was, you know, working extremely hard to, you know, stop them from scoring, which, you know, unfortunately we did concede. But, you know, we got a point and, you know, now it's on to the next game. I mentioned Tim Payne. Um, how, how hard is it at the moment to be a Tim Payne in Australia? Because we know what's yeah, happened with the, the cricket captain or no longer the captain. I mean, is, is our Tim Payne, is he copping it on social media? I don't think he's copping it this time, but he copped it last season. He copped quite a bit, you know. He had loads of comments and, uh, you know, some people commenting on his Instagram and things like that. And he was copping a bit of grief. But, look, he gets on with his business. He's, uh, he's all good. OK, that's good to know, yeah. Because um, I mean, social media can be a hell of a thing and... Um, you know, whether it's a, a case of mistaken identity or not, it, it, those those comments can be pretty harmful, can't they? Yeah, exactly. I think, um, you know, unfortunately, the world we live in, there's always a little bit of uh, negative stuff online. And, you know, but look, Payne gets on with his business. He doesn't uh, take too much to uh, all that sort of stuff. Mm. Hey, in the game against MacArthur, there may have been a lot of defending and playing without the ball, but you created a lot of really good chances to score. Um it's almost like a theme at the moment with New Zealand football teams, though. Wellington Phoenix struggled to put the ball in the old onion bag at the weekend. The All-Whites struggling to score against the Gambia and Curaçao and Bahrain recently. Football Ferns at Tokyo 2020, Canada. We hope for better against the, the Koreans in the coming days. But can you put your finger on why we, we failed to pull the trigger in some clear-cut opportunities there? I think for us, as, as you said, we defended extremely well and, um, you know, I think unfortunately it just didn't fall for us. You know, we had, as you said, we had some great chances, um, especially in the second half when we weren't actually as dominant. Um, I think that for us, you know, the more games we play and, you know, the lads get fitter and fitter, I think we will put those away. Um, I think the good thing is, is that we're creating good chances, especially when we weren't as dominant. So I think that shows that, you know, we're always dangerous, which is really, really positive. Saturday night at 7 o'clock, you've got Central Coast Mariners. Uh, what, what changes for this game? I know that Reno Piscopo, he exited the game after 50 minutes, but I think recently he said that he's good to go. So are there going to be any changes? And uh, if it's not personnel, is it a style of play? Is it a formation? What can we expect on Saturday night? Look, in terms of personnel, um, you know, that, that's down to the coach and... Um, Obviously, against the opponents, Central Coast, they're a great team. So that we'll find that out in the next sort of couple of days. But you know, in terms of the way we play, you know, nothing will change. We'll be hard to beat. We'll be disciplined in our defensive structure. And then, you know, I think for us, especially this weekend, we need to work harder when we do win the ball. You know, because as I said, that you know, 
in terms of attitude, we were we were second to none um, in uh, defending. I think now it's just trying to keep the ball a bit better and you know picking the right times to go forward. Alex, you've been a, a part of the Wellington Phoenix Club for a very long time, as we've previously discussed uh, on on this show. Um, but uh, what does it mean to you to now introduce the Wellington Phoenix women's side? What, how important is that for the club and the country? Oh, I think it's massive, you know, especially for the women's game in New Zealand. Um, you know, we've been crying out for a women's team for a very, very long time. And, you know, we've got a lot of very good, uh, good players. And, um, you know, I think it's a great opportunity for a lot of the women to showcase, you know, what they've got, especially, you know, a lot of young Kiwis, so I think it's really exciting and uh, we wish them all the best. Hey, and just lastly, before we let you go, Alex, and you um, continue your preparations for Central Coast Mariners this week, is this season the season Alex Roofer gets on the score sheet? You know, just powered <laughs> by the captain's armband. Maybe that'll inspire you. Yeah, look, I mean, that's something that, you know, obviously hasn't happened, but look, it's not from a lack of trying and, um, you know, at least I'm not a striker, but look, hopefully this season <laughs> it happens, mate. I'll... Um, I'll give you a pallet jump once it happens. Mate, if, if you're a striker and you haven't scored after 80-odd games, then uh, I don't think you're playing for the Wellington Phoenix anymore, let alone being captain. Alex Rufa, it's been a great pleasure to have you on the Kiwi Football Fix. Don't be a stranger. Go well against the Mariners, mate. Awesome. Thank you very much for having me. And we go from the skipper of the Wellington Phoenix men's side, Alex Rufa, to the captain of the Sky Sport football commentary team. Of course, we all know and love him. He's Jason Pine. Piney, great to see you, mate. How are you getting on? Yeah, doing really well, uh, Goran. Looking forward to uh, to a Phoenix season full of um, the usual ups and downs, I think you'd probably say. Um, I know we're going to talk about the first game and what the, the season might hold. But, yeah, it's an exciting time uh, at the start of any new A-League season. And, and, yeah, I thought the Phoenix gave a pretty good account of themselves first up. Yeah, we'll talk about the game uh, very shortly. But, first of all, we've just heard from Alex Rufa, the, the skipper. What were your thoughts on his first outing in charge of that first eleven? I thought he had a good game. Yeah, I mean, Alex Roofer is a, is a no-frills footballer. You're not going to get a, a Sarpreet Singh sort of performance out of him or a, a flashy Joey Champness step-over dribbling run past three or four guys. But what you will get from Alex Roofer every single time is 100%. And uh, he described himself to me once as, as a, a bit of a bulldog in the middle of the park. Mark Rudan told him when he was in charge, he just wanted Alex Roofer to run around in the middle of the park and make things difficult for the opposition. And I think that really suits his his style of play. As I say, he's not going to score you, you know, a hatful of goals. In fact, he's still waiting for his first A-League goal, which I'm sure will come at some stage. But no, I thought he um, he sat in front of the back four alongside Clayton Lewis pretty well, broke up attacks. His distribution on the whole was good. And, um, and the weight of the captain's armband didn't seem to be a weight on him at all. I didn't notice any um, undue pressure. He might have been a bit more vocal. It was kind of hard to tell. But, um, yeah, look, I, th I think he can be really happy with his first game as as captain of this side. And, and as I said before, I think it was a pretty promising start. They probably look back and think we could have won it with a couple of chances late on. But, yeah, I thought Alex Rufa was good in a, in a pretty satisfactory Phoenix performance. Yeah, what about the Knicks right across the board, Piney? Because they, they spent a lot of the time uh, playing without the ball. But... When they uh, had opportunities, um, they, they carved out some really, really good ones. They, they could have won this game against MacArthur. 
Absolutely, yeah. I mean, the toughest part for them was uh, was the period straight after half time. They went a one nil up through Gary Hooper's penalty, and I think probably had edged the first half enough to think that they deserved that lead. Second half, yeah, MacArthur came out a completely different side and really pushed the Phoenix back uh, for the first 15, 20 minutes of that second half, scored their equaliser, which was deserved. And then it became a bit of an arm wrestle. And, and from there on, in the last quarter of the game, you're right, Goran, Wellington had the better chances. You know, David Ball had a couple of really good chances to, uh, to score the winner, wasn't able to. I can't remember MacArthur having too many uh, chances clear-cut anyway at the other end. And at the end of it, everyone sort of seemed a little bit satisfied with the point. They weren't ecstatic. They weren't completely downcast. They took the point, shrugged their shoulders and, and moved on. So, yeah, look, the Phoenix aren't traditionally good starters, as we know. Only two wins in their first um, round match uh, across 15 seasons. So <laughs> they certainly don't bolt out of the blocks. But um, a draw against a team that many people are talking about as one of the top six contenders, as I say, is uh, a pretty satisfactory outcome. Look, it's a small sample size, I know. One game to go by. But uh, what are we expecting out of the Wellington Phoenix men this season? They've obviously lost a lot of experience. Ulysses Davila, obviously he's with uh, MacArthur. Stephen Taylor left before the season started. No Cam Devlin. You talk about Alex Rufa being a bulldog. Well, was he a pit dog in midfield, Cam Devlin? So they're, they're a little bit light on experience. What are you thinking that they might achieve this A-League season? Well, I don't think they're favourites for the top six, put it that way. I think if you lined up, you know, 20 football pundits from this part of the world and asked them to, to list their top six in the A-League, I don't think anywhere near half of them would have the Phoenix featuring that top six, largely because of the reasons you've just mentioned, the loss of players like De Villa and Taylor and, and Devlin and others who uh, haven't returned to the football club. Tom Ahmed, of course, who was such a prolific goal scorer in the uh, second half of last season. But I think what they do have is, and it was shown in this first game, they have the ability to play in a system that Ufuk Talley knows is going to, you know, be pretty successful in terms of picking up points on a reasonably regular basis. They were hard to break down. They were patient. They played through the thirds. And when the goal-scoring opportunity came, albeit via a penalty, it was put away. And, and look, I think a lot of the attacking uh, responsibility this season is going to fall on Reno Piscopo. I thought, again, he looked the most likely to create anything. Gary Hooper, we know if, if, if chances are presented to him, will take them. And then you add in, uh, you know, David Ball, who we're likely to see a bit deeper this season in a number 10 role, and the freshness of, uh, of Ben Wayne and, and Joshua Soterio also adding their impetus. So I think there are, you know, there are the players there who can score the goals that will get Phoenix uh, draws and wins. They just don't quite have that, uh, you know, the X factor that Davila bought. And, and further back, you know, taking out players like uh, Stevie Taylor and um, and Cam Devlin to a lesser extent maybe maybe makes them a little bit, uh, you know, I wouldn't say easy to break down, but uh, but not quite as sturdy at the back. So, you know, the likes of Tim Payne and, and Josh Laws and, and Alex Rufa are going to have to do that defensive work. They're not a team of stars, Goran, by any stretch of the imagination. Not a team of stars at all. But as we know in the A-League, you don't necessarily have to be. You can uh, put, together, put together a run of results and find yourself all of a sudden in, in playoff contention. And I think that's the approach that, that Ufuk Tele will take. Yeah, what's that phrase about a champion team beating a team of champions? And I'm pretty sure the Wellington Phoenix, it doesn't matter who they cobble together, if you like, Ufuk Tele will have them fit, firing and ready to go. But if worst-case scenario were to occur, and maybe one of those key players that you've mentioned, the likes of a Hooper or a Ball or a Soterio or a, or a, a Piscopo goes down, who would... Uffy look to bring into the squad? Like, where are they light in terms of their depth? 
Um, well, I, I think, you know, the, the attacking third, the players we've mentioned, that you know, they're, they're good attacking players. But once you get below those players, then really you're starting to get into into players who haven't had a heck of a lot of A-League experience at all. I mean, they've brought in a couple of um, academy players into the current mix. Uh, George Ott is a guy who's scored a lot of goals in the winter for the Phoenix Reserve side, but there's a heck of a step up to the A-League. At the back, Curtis Mogg is a, a promising young defender, but again, no A-League experience at all. Um, like I say, Goran, and you've alluded to a great point, the first 11 is actually pretty good compared to the other you know, first yeah. 11s around the league, even if they don't have quite the star, star power of, of some of these teams, the Melbourne Cities and Sydney FCs of the competition. But yeah, were they to suffer you know, some injuries? And we know Gary Hooper... Um, has been prone to picking them up over time. If Reno Piscopo was to, you know, was to to pick up a an injury that kept him out for a significant period, then they really would have to be bringing players in who who don't have either the ability or the experience of of players like that. So yeah, every time Reno Piscopo goes to deck, I kind of you know you, you feel like I'm going to be <laughs> holding my breath, making sure he's okay. Um, but you know it does give players a chance. Ben Old we saw came into the game for Piscopo um, and had a half an hour the other night. He's a promising young player with with big raps. So, you know, with, with adversity comes opportunity for others and, and this season's, as I said before, likely to have a lot of ups and downs in that regard. Well, Piney, you can uh, breathe easy because Reno, he, he's allayed our fears. He is going to be OK to play against Central Coast Mariners this weekend. So we should be at full strength and Uffi can put out his first choice, first eleven for the second match of the A-League men's season. All right, look, talking out of school, I suppose, it was great to see you the other week for the All-Whites clash uh, up against um, the might of the Gambia. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we've actually been really blessed to see these All-Whites in action after damn near two years' uh, absence. What do you think of how Danny Hay has, uh, you know, progressed these All-Whites in, in limited opportunities as we progress to what is going to be a very, very busy 2022? I liked what I saw. I really did. I, I thought across all three games that we were able to watch, uh, Curacao, Bahrain, and then the Gambia the other day, I thought the intent of what Danny Ho wants to bring to the All-Whites was was very clear. He wants them to be a possession-based side that plays with the ball, uh, that creates opportunities, that, that brings in um, skillful players in wide positions, the likes of Champness and Eli Just uh, that goes through the thirds, that gets the likes of Sapreet Singh. What a player, by the way. Uh, Marco Staminich, what a player he could be, by the way. You know, creating opportunities for, for Chris Wood, who, you know, will inevitably now become our greatest ever international goal scorer. Uh, you talked about depth with the Phoenix before. I think Danny Hay has built already some really impressive depth across, um, you know, across the the players available to him. You know, if you try and name a 23-man squad now, a, a hypothetical 23-man squad for a World Cup, for example, you're leaving some very good players out of that 23-man squad across all parts of the pitch. You know, if there's a, a place where perhaps there is just a, a small lack of depth that might be at right fullback, where I thought Nico Kirwan was good, but but maybe there are still a few question marks there. There are others kind of clamouring around for, the, for that right-back spot um, and, and might put their hand up over the next few months. But pretty much everywhere else, there is there are options and there are players, good players, who not only can't get in the, in the top 23, but can't get in the first 11. And, uh, and that's exactly what you want as a coach. You want a competitive side. So I've strayed from the point. I was impressed. I really liked what I saw <laughs> from Danny Hayes' side. And, uh, and I hope to see more of it very soon. I don't mind if you stray from the point, mate, because everything that comes out of your mouth is absolutely golden. Just You mentioned the right-back position, and you're right. I, it is one of the, the 
positions of contention, if you like. Uh, of the, the options that we've seen, Nico Kerwin, we've also seen Calvin Kalua. Um, we know that Louis Fenton can play right back. Um, there, there's word uh, that Bill Tuiloma could be the option moving forward, but he's been injured. What's your preference? My absolute preference is Tim Payne at right back. If I was picking a first 11 right now for a for a one-off intercontinental player, for example, my right back would be Tim Payne. He's played there a lot for the Phoenix and uh, previously for, uh, for his club side. Of course, we know he's a centre-back these days and even said to me in the last few months he wants to play centre-back for club and country. But I still like him at right back because you know what you're going to get from Tim Payne. Uh, you'll get defensive solidity for starters, which is is a, the brief of a fullback, uh, you know, when you pair it all back. But he also can get up and down. I mean, other names, Storm Roo uh, has, has now signed with the Central Coast Mariners. We'll see him against the Phoenix this coming weekend. Uh, Callan Elliott, of course, is, um, is slotted in at right back at the moment with Fenton injured. Dane Ingham is at Newcastle. He was involved in the Olympic campaign. There are a lot of right backs, but you just got to find the right one. And, and funnily enough, you know, ironically enough, uh, my first choice is a centre-back who you'd put it right back. I, I think with Winston Reid and and um, and Michael Boxall in the in the heart of defence and Libby Kakachi on the left, add Tim Payne to the right of that, and I think you've got a pretty good back four uh, if that's the way that Danny Hay decides to play it. What do you think is going through the minds of some of these Australian or New Zealand-based players and the likes of Ryan Thomas who haven't been able to get in with the All-Whites or have been unavailable for various reasons? As this team continues to build combinations over October, November, we understand that they will play again in January before the, the March qualifiers uh, for the Oceania top spot. Do you think they'll be a little bit worried that they might not get a look in? I think there'll be some players who, who feel that and there'll be others who have a real sense of excitement and they're the likes of Ryan Thomas who knows that you know, uh, on any given day when he's fit, he's in the team. Uh, so I think he he will be looking at those games and thinking, man, get me into that team. Same with the likes of Costa Barbarousas. I think Costa will look at the way New Zealand are playing right now and think to himself, I've been in this team for 10 years, the All-Whites that is, and we've never played like this. We've never played in a way that will allow me to really express myself up top and have the likes of Singh and and Staminich and Matt Garbutt and, and Joe Bell playing forward passes either straight to me or to Chris Wood that I can run off. So for guys like Costa and Ryan, I, I bet they can't wait to hook up with the All-Whites. But for others, and I guess we can look at a guy like Clayton Lewis, who hasn't had the opportunity to be involved, um, you know, in, in fact, at all under Danny Hay. He wasn't in the mm. team two years ago either. Hasn't played an All-Whites game under Danny Hay. Um, but was a bit of a, an ever-present under Anthony Hudson. Clayton Lewis is probably thinking, you know what, where's my, where's my pathway into this team? I feel like I'm one of the best 23 players, but am I going to get the opportunity to prove that um, with, with time rapidly running out, as you say, before uh, the, the Oceania qualifiers come around in March? So, look, again, it talks about the depth, that good players, um, you know, through no fault of their own, are going to struggle to make a, an 11 and, gonna, and make a 23. So... Well, I guess what it will lead to, if you're Clayton Lewis, you're saying to yourself, right, I'm going to play as well as I can every time I get the chance for the Wellington Phoenix and and, and make myself, um, you know, unomitable, un if there's such a phrase, um, that Danny has to pick me. Uh, I don't have a dictionary handy, um, Piney, so I can't help you out on that one, but I, I know full well what you mean. Um, you know, when you, when you look at this all-white side, though, and you, if you wanted to be hypercritical, you wanted to be really, really... I don't know, nasty about what they've done recently. It's the, it's the lack of finishing 
for the chances that they've created. And, you know, I, I don't know what the, the quick fix is. I don't know if there is a quick fix for that. But when you talk about all these guys that may or may not come in at some stage, surely it's all about building combinations which will help us convert those chances. So I, I, I suppose it's like a, a two-part question. How do we fix the, the lack of conversion? And can new guys into the setup help with it? Because... Uh, to my mind, if you're not building those combinations, how can you actually pull off some scoring opportunities? Yeah, I mean, the observation is bang on for starters. That was the, the one thing that if you were going to be hypercritical, you'd say, even though the All-Whites have won three games in a row, um, you know, they should have won uh, a couple of those games by more. Certainly Curacao, they should have beaten by more. And the Gambia, they should have uh, been a lot more comfortable in that one as well. And and I know Danny Hay was um, was uh, quite annoyed by what happened in the Curacao game in particular, where they had a comfortable lead and then conceded and ended up having a bit of an arm wrestle near the end of that game. The same thing happened in a game we didn't get the chance to see against Algeria A when they went 2-0 up and then conceded late. He was annoyed about that. Um, uh, can players coming in um, immediately fix that? I, I think Costa Barbarousas adds something different to what we've got up top. Chris Wood will always be there. Um, at the moment, Danny likes uh, the idea of, of Chris Wood with two wide players, whether it's Eli Just and um, Joey Champness or whether Callum McCowitt's in that mix. Um, but I wonder whether he might look, and he might run out of chances to do it, but whether if he absolutely had the opportunity to do so, to play a, a two-man front two, uh, with Chris Wood and Costa Barbarousas playing together. And then maybe you play a slightly different way in midfield with a midfield diamond, perhaps, and those two up top. Um, I, I think that that really appeals to me as a as a very, very strong attacking uh, setup. Uh, if he doesn't get the opportunity, then I think he just has to go with what he's got and think to himself, you know what, it's not the worst thing in the world. At least we're creating the chances and guys with the quality of wood don't need too many opportunities. I mean, the other night or the other morning um, against the Gambia, he'd hardly touched the ball. And then he got a goal. And then uh, in the second half, he got another one. So um, when the chances come, he will take them. Uh, others have to find that ruthless streak. And, and I guess New Zealand just have to continue to create those opportunities. And happily, that is the way that Danny Hay has them playing. So create them and they'll come, to, uh, to paraphrase another famous uh, sporting cliche. I guess the good thing is, Piney, they will have opportunities to mix and match and do things differently. Uh, when you think about the, the January international window and then what we're led to believe is a very, very intense qualifying uh, campaign in March. What is it, something like seven games in 14 days or, or something like that? Now, even though Chris Wood loves to play for his country and, and it's really hard to get him off the pitch, he's not going to play all of those games, is he? No, no, absolutely not. And, and I think January will give us a chance, hopefully, to um, to look at, at combinations again. Although, uh, can you get New Zealand and Australian players back? Not sure. So it might be that he has to go with the overseas players again. But certainly when that, uh, when that World Cup qualification tournament rolls round in March, you're right, you're not going to play a game every other day in the heat of Qatar. Um, and, and once, um, you know, New Zealand has secured their passage, whatever that tournament looks like, through to the knockout rounds, then players will be given an opportunity. It's a really, really, you know... Uh, difficult balancing act for Danny Hay because he knows that really we are heading towards one big game, one big game in June of next year. We know the Intercontinental Playoff is a one-off match. We'll soon know um, which confederation one -off match, the Piney. team we're going to play joke, against. Mate. I, I, Absolute I, I, joke. Know you're, I know you're not happy with it. Of I know you're not, not happy, happy with it. And, and 
<laughs> Why would you I miss be? out on your trip to Wellington, or or I miss my trip to Auckland, depending on which way they went with it. Oh. But yeah, it's it's it, it is what it is, and and I and I guess for Danny Hay, at least he knows the cards he's dealt now. On Saturday, he'll know what confederation the team will come from that his his team is going to face if they make it through to the to the playoff stage. So he can start narrowing it down to just CONCACAF or just Asia or just God forbid South America. Um, and he and he can work on on what combinations he believes are best to both break those teams down, but also uh, repel them when they come forward. Look, the ultimate goal is the All-Whites qualifying for the 2022 World Cup. I, I know that. Football fans around the country know that. But knowing what we had in 09 against Bahrain, 13 against Mexico, 17 against Peru, and, you know, like me and my mates jumping in a car, driving down mm. from Auckland to Wellington, having a wonderful weekend, watching the games, being a part of that Bahrain experience. It was like, that was the best night of my life. And I'm sure many, many others that were inside that stadium could say exactly the same thing. Uh, to, to not have that, like, I'm gutted, they'll be gutted. And, and it's more than that, Piney, uh, and you'll know this better than me, um, the, the cash injection that will be absent for New Zealand football if they're not allowed to have a home-and-away uh, two-leg fixture for that intercontinental playoff. Because how, how much money is it worth to New Zealand football in terms of uh, gate takings and broadcast rights? Millions. Millions, certainly. Um, you know, the Mexico game, we understand, was an absolute windfall for New Zealand football when they were able to sell the, the rights to that game back to Mexican broadcasters. Same with Peru. Um, and the gates, as you say, were, were also significant when you're packing out a stadium, big at Sky Stadium in Wellington or perhaps even Eden Park in Auckland, they might have gone to to try and sell 50,000 tickets. That is significant revenue that they simply will not get. So you're right, there is the cash side, there is the experiential side for the New Zealand football fan who so rarely sees New Zealand play in New Zealand. In fact, the last time we saw the All-Whites play in New Zealand was that Peru game back in 2017. They haven't played at home Ridiculous. since 2017. So that's yeah. four years without a home game. Um, you know, so for New Zealand football fans, as you say, Bahrain remains for me um, the the quintessential sporting event I've ever attended. And, and Mexico and Peru were a lot of fun as well, the home legs of those matches. So yeah, that, those are the downsides. If we're going to try and spin this into a positive, I guess you'd say it perhaps lends itself to that goal you talked about before a little bit better of qualifying for the World Cup. If it's a one-off game in a neutral venue, you take a lot of things out of the equation. You take the travel out between the two countries, which I know both teams have to do, but there it is. You take away a hostile away crowd the likes of Peru, and we know what happened when they went there four years ago. Jet planes and fireworks, among other things, keeping them lasers in the, the eyes uh, the night before the, that, that all that stuff. So you take that out of it as well. And across 90 minutes, I don't know. Maybe Danny Hay believes he's got a better chance of of winning a game than he has across 180 minutes against a team which is almost certainly going to be ranked a lot higher in the world than New Zealand is. So there's pros. There's cons. It is what it is. As I say, we'll find out on Saturday which confederation we can zero in on, and then we can start looking forward to perhaps another special occasion, albeit on TV rather than in the flesh, in the middle of 2022. God, I, I remember 2009 vividly, Piney. Um, you know, I, I got a late call-up, actually, from our dear friend, Brenton Van Nisselroy, who's the head of media these days at the Wellington Phoenix. Um, one of his friends yep. broke his leg. It was a car of four... And one of the four broke his leg and couldn't make the trip from Auckland to Wellington. Late call-up was Paladin. 
Um, I, I donned a, a white, what was it, like a hazmat suit. It had Herbert 8 painted on the back in black paint. Um, we, we went down there, we, we came, we saw, we conquered. It was the greatest weekend of my life. And just to think that we won't have that again, it, uh, yeah, it's heartbreaking stuff. But look, we, we put that to one side and we move on because something that, that is heartwarming and it's great to see and it's long overdue is a Wellington Phoenix women's side in the A-League women's competition. You're based in Wellington. You know the Wellington Phoenix as a club inside and out. How important is this club, this team, to that, that franchise? And more than that, how important is it to New Zealand football to have this women's team? Yeah, I think it's it's as important, uh, the second of your points there, I think it's as important to New Zealand football to have it. And, and that's why New Zealand football as, a, as an organisation has partnered with the Wellington Phoenix on this and, and provided uh, a pathway now for our best young female players to play professional football. You know, that opportunity has been there for young male players now for 15 years since the Phoenix men's side started playing in 2007. And you look at some of the players that have been produced through the Wellington Phoenix Academy system. Guys we've mentioned already, you know, Sarpreet Singh, Libby Kakachi, um, you know, uh, Joe Bell came through the, the Phoenix Academy system. Current players, Ben Old, there are big raps, as I say, on this kid. Many others as well who have, who have found a pathway to bigger and better things. But also, there, are, there have been opportunities for the likes of an Alex Roofer. Alex Roofer may not have played professional football if the Wellington Phoenix hadn't come along. And it's quite okay to be a professional footballer in your own country, and that's it. He's into his, what, eighth or ninth season as a professional footballer. That wouldn't have happened if the Wellington Phoenix hadn't have come along. So now, for our young female players, they can see that pathway in one of those two ways. They might be an aspiring, you know, overseas professional, someone who sees the bright lights of, of Europe as their end goal. The Phoenix might be the stepping stone to that. Alternatively, they might just want to play professional football, and now they don't have to leave New Zealand to do that. So, you know, I think in those two ways, it's, it's, it's extremely important and very beneficial. And as far as the club's concerned, I know Wellington have long wanted to have, um, you know, this this uh, this other side of the the football club. A lot of, or most of the other A League clubs have a a women's side, and and for Wellington now to be able to add that as well to uh, you know to to their suite of offerings, I guess you'd say, uh, not only for fans but for players as well, and for commercial partners is um, is really really important. We know they're not going to play um, uh, many, if any, home games in their first season, based almost entirely in Australia. But I can't wait for the day when they're back and both teams play on the same day at the same venue. You know, a Wellington Phoenix double header, the women followed by the men or vice versa. It doesn't matter. But those two teams on the same day, cheered on by big home crowds. Uh, that's something that I really am looking forward to seeing. Now, Piney, that's the sort of thing I can jump in my car and drive down to Wellington for, what you're talking about right there. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely right. Absolutely right. Yeah. Hey, look, um, just to wrap things up here, I've stolen way too much of your time. I know you're a busy man, Piney, so um, this will probably come out of my paycheck, but that's fine because I'm just glad that you're on episode one, season two of the Kiwi Football Fix. But um, the Football Ferns, they play again uh, against Korea Saturday night and Tuesday night, and the coverage is live on Sky Sport. I believe that you'll be a part of one of those games as well. Um, what, what were you uh, happy with? in terms of what they did against Canada. It was a really tough start, 5-1 in the first fixture, but, man, did they grow and develop across those two fixtures. Yeah, and, and I think that was, if, if you're asking me what I what I was most pleased about, it was that. The, the fact that Yitka Klimkova was quickly able to, um, you know, to, to unpick 
a heavy first up loss, make some changes and without really deviating too much from what she wants to do tactically with this team, she was able to shore things up defensively and, and allow them to make a much better showing in game two against a very, very good side. Let's not forget Canada are, a, are an extremely good women's football side. So I loved it that Klimkova um, is going to encourage this team to be attacking. Uh, but like Danny Hayes, she wants her team to have the football. She wants them to go at their opposition rather than sit back and just soak up pressure and hope to hit them on the break. Um, and, and pleasingly as well, these games have come along quickly after the Canada games. You know, it would have been a bit more difficult had there been three or four months to stew on those results and and not get the team back together. Getting the team back together quickly, introducing a couple of new players who weren't available the first time around and having another couple of games against a good opponent, uh, not quite as good as Canada, which might actually play into New Zealand's hands. You know, a slightly perhaps um, uh, less challenging assignment where they, they would hope, I'm sure, to pick up at least a result or two across these two games will be really beneficial. Time together, as with Danny Hayes teams, that has been so scarce. Time together is so important for international coaches as they build toward landmark events. And there's no bigger landmark event for the football ferns than what's going to happen in a couple of years when the World Cup comes to town. Couldn't agree more. Piney, you've been outstanding, as you always are. I better let you go because I've got Betsy Hassett waiting online for a chat out of Korea. So um, see you later, mate, and uh, we'll get you on again sometime soon on the Kiwi Football Fix, eh? Yeah, can't wait. Always good to chat football with you, Goran. Thanks, mate. And we've saved the best for last on the uh, first episode of the new season of the Kiwi Football Fix. We're going live into Korea with Betsy Hassett, 124-cap football fern. Betsy, how on earth are you? Oh, I'm great, thank you. It's, it's great to be in Korea with, back with the team and having two games coming up. Super excited and happy to be here. Yeah, look, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the Korean matches and what we might expect a little bit later on. But first of all... I want to get your take on how good it is and how good have the matches been since the football ferns got back together again. I'm talking about the matches that you, you played at the Tokyo Games, obviously Canada's victory tour once they'd won the Olympic gold medal. You've played against some really strong opposition. So not only back into it after a long break, but that the calibre of opposition has been outstanding for you guys. Yeah, it's such a great opportunity to play these top teams. Uh, we didn't do as well as we wanted at the Olympics, unfortunately, um, but we did have a tough group. And um, yeah, and so it's been good, though, to the last tour against Canada. Um, that was awesome to be able to play against the Olympic gold medalists. Uh, with the new coach, we didn't do too well in the first game, but it was super exciting that between games we improved so much in just a couple of days. And with this new coach, Yitka, that we have, she's just awesome. Everyone loves her. So it's super exciting moving forward with her, what she's going to do with us. Betsy, what were the main takeaways from that Canadian tour? You've mentioned it, you know, it's a youthful squad. You've got a new coach. What, what for you, were the, the main lessons learned? Um, I think we can just see after this one game, or two games, in between how much we progressed um there's lots to look forward to and um it's exciting times and i think um yitka's going to bring a new sort of um a new style of play with us that we really need to focus on our attacking play um yeah we we just changed a few little slight things in the first game and we got so much better so it's it was really exciting ending that tour even though we lost um it's exciting moving forward and we're um, super excited to see how we're going to go against Korea in the next couple couple days. Um, 
yeah, it's great to play against. Korea's a great team as well, so it's going to see going to be a big test to see if we can still continue getting better each game. From my um, amateur eye, I suppose you could call it, uh, the, the pressing in Game 2 against Canada, it was vastly improved on what we saw in Game 1. Was that a directive from Yitka? You, you seem to be hunting as a pack more, pressing higher up the park. Was, was that one of her mantras heading into that game? Yeah, um, look at, yeah. after watching the first game over, um, yeah, we we sort of didn't do too well defensively, um, a lot of little mistakes and we weren't working together as much. So it was just basically, yeah, a tiny change in our pressing and defensive strategy that really helped us keep the ball and win the ball higher up the field, which was great help. And we did so much better and it felt so much easier on the field just working together, pressing a bit higher. So just small little changes which is helps so much is so important and you guys you seem to be operating like a 4-3-3 system um, that was uh, standard throughout those two games against Canada how comfortable are you and the rest of the women involved in the squad playing that formation uh yeah it's it's um it's yeah pretty normal formation um we've been playing that for the last few years and stuff but um I think it's it's works well. I mean, uh, having three forwards, three midfielders, and yeah, really working on using the flanks more. We're yeah trying to combine in the flanks, getting overlap runs from our fullbacks. So I think yeah, it's exciting times ahead. We just need to get work together and see what we can do. Yeah, um, I'm not going to call you old because that's just out and out rude, Betsy. Um, but you are a very experienced member of this Football Ferns squad and you've seen a number of coaches over the years. So tell us a little bit about Yitka Klimkova. Um, what makes her tick? What makes her a really good fit for the Football Ferns as we head towards the uh, World Cup in 2023? Um, she's super positive, Yitka, um, which is great. She's come in with this great positive energy. She seems super committed to the team, um, making us, wants to make us better and um, she, one thing is she's, which she's done um, is she's really interested in, in who we are as people, which is really important, I think, um, connecting with everyone and wanting to learn, get to know us really quickly. We're doing lots of um, meetings with, you know, just getting to know one, one another, which is really important to connect and that will make us play better. Um, so, yeah, she just seems like a very great human being and really open and and wanting to make this team better and improve. So it's really, really nice to have her on board. Now, I suppose getting to know people one-on-one, -on -one, um, finding out what uh, the, the members of the squad are like, what they do in their spare time, their, their family and friends and, and all that sort of stuff, yeah, hobbies, that, that must help build the culture. Obviously, the Football Ferns culture has been a good one over the last few years under Tom Sumani, but that, that can only help build what has been created over the past few years. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's always continuous growth, and especially with new, young, new ones coming in a lot. Um, it's, yeah, we all have to continuously getting to know each other more and more, and uh, it's just a matter of these little things like communication with one another, how you talk to people on the field, off the field, um, really makes a difference in how to get the best out of everyone. So I think that's a really important thing, and it's great that she's starting at the basics and, you know, going from there. 
Can we talk about the, the, the youthful aspect of this squad? It was a youthful-looking one against Canada. Uh, the status quo almost remains for Korea, these two matches coming up on Saturday and Tuesday next week. Uh, what, what does your role look like now? Because this is a squad without Abby Ersig, Hannah Wilkinson, Rosie White, Annalie Longo isn't there because we're not selecting players from uh, Australia New Zealand, or New Zealand specifically, rather. So you, as a, a football fern centurion, do you take it upon yourself to, I guess, impart knowledge and wisdom on the youthful members of the squad and let them know what it means to be a fern? Yeah, def definitely. Um, it's so strange because I've always been the youngest one because I've been in the team for so long, and so... The last, I feel so old now in the last few years, I've realized like, whoa, I'm actually, yeah, one of the old ones. And um, <laughs> it's, my role has to change. I'm trying to be more of a leader on the field and yeah, pass on all the knowledge and all experience I have to the younger ones coming forward, which is exciting. And um, it's super challenging and it's a fun, it's a fun role to play now. Um, so yeah, just doing the best I can and in sharing that with the young ones coming through and sharing the knowledge that I have and, and the culture that we've had for so many years. So it's fun. Without some of those um, senior members of the squad, um, I, I suppose you could look at it one of two ways. It's either a negative that you don't have all of that experience or it's a positive that you're, you're bringing in fresh young faces who may be in the mix in two years' time when we play this World Cup. So what way do you view it, Betsy? Is it more of a negative not having that experience or is it more of a positive? Um, I think it's I think it's a bit of both, but um, definitely more of a positive, I think, at, at right now um, because, yeah, we've got a couple of years and it's great to give these younger ones opportunity to sh see what, they ha what they've got and give them a chance to be here and experience and because I mean in the next six years a lot of us are going to be leaving and we, we want this team to keep growing and keep getting better and so that's the only way to do it is to for young ones to come in and and give it them all and learn from us so I think it's great that they, these girls have this opportunity they should make the most of it and it's really cool to get to know the younger ones as well. Yeah who are you most excited about seeing their, their growth in the football ferns. I mean, personally, I can't wait to see Claudia Bunge back after her um, W League, now A League women's winning exploits in the last A League season. Uh, what about yourself? What are, who are you looking forward to seeing grow over the years? Um, I think uh, Jackie Hand um, could be a really, really awesome little player for us. Um, she's yeah, she's sharp, and I'd, I'd never met her before. Just met her last tour, and I don't. I didn't, she's from color. She's studying in Colorado, and I didn't. I didn't even know six of the players that came with us last tour. So that was. It was really, really. I mean, there's a lot of good ones coming through, and it's great to see. Um, so I think Jackie. Yeah, she's a great little winger. We've never really had a full-on winger that's fast and technical, and and um, yeah, so she has a lot of potential, and I'm excited to see how she's going to grow into this team. Yeah, and she played really well against Canada. But let's talk about Korea, the the team that you face. It's it's almost like I don't I don't want to be I don't want to run them down, but it's almost like a little bit of a breather compared to the teams that you've played recently. USA number one in the world, Sweden number two, Canada the Olympic champions, Australia just outside the top ten. Korea, I think, are ranked 18th in the world at the moment. So what are we expecting from the Korean side? Are they more a technical passing side or will they try and go through you with brute strength? Um, I think they are going to be very organised. Um, 
and very physical. Uh, but I, I also think, yeah, they're very technical. They've got a really good number 10 called G. Um, and she, we have to look out for her. She's a great little, she plays for Chelsea, I think. Um, and she's just a great little player, really technical, fast. Um, so we're just more sort of focusing on our own game, though, at trainings, just how we can keep the ball, how we can attack and how we can score goals against them. So um, I think it's going to be um, lots of space in behind them. Uh, so that's what we're really going to be focusing on, getting the ball in behind them and, yeah, scoring some goals. So super fun, exciting opportunity. Looking yeah. forward to it. Well, that, that sounds really good, Betsy, because, um, look, I suppose if you wanted to be hypercritical, the, the goals haven't been there, have they? So you, you're generating chances, much like the All-Whites and the Wellington Phoenix at the weekend just gone, generating chances but not capitalising on the chances made. So do you have any uh, solutions, any magic bullet as to how you capitalise on the chances that you're creating? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, we really have to work on that. That's true. Uh, we haven't scored that many goals in the past few years. Um, but I think, first first of all, just building, getting the ball up there is the first part. Um, and then just working on all this little com combination play, working on these great good crosses in the box and working on our finishing. Um, that's what this next step is for us. And it's exciting that Yitka is, that's exactly what she's trying to, that we're working on right now in training. So um, hopefully we can put some of that into action. And yeah, we just need to keep practicing and, and doing our stuff, so. Yeah, it's the next stepping stone, if you like, on the, uh, the path or the road to World Cup 2023. Now, uh, I said in the intro, 124 caps for the football ferns. And what I didn't say is that you've pretty much played all of the Olympics, all of the World Cups. You've done uh, age group World Cups as well. So in two years' time, how are you placed to represent the football ferns and, and play in a home World Cup? Are you, are you looking forward to it? Or are you thinking, oh, you know, uh, I've done plenty already. I might just let somebody else in the side. No, I'm I'm super excited. Um, it's just like a dream come true to play a World Cup at home. And I don't know, it might be my last one, maybe not, but we'll we'll see. But it's um, I'm so happy that this has happened in in my career. Um, it's going to be so fun to come home to New Zealand. I haven't been home for so long and play against my friends and my family. Um, yeah, I'm so looking forward to it. Yeah, and Betsy, another thing that is really going to help with, I suppose, the the surge of support for the Football Ferns is this backing by Ford NZ. Um, they're actually your first ever naming rights sponsor in the history of the Football Ferns. And they're going to be helping with the, the promotion of the sport and the women's game, the development of women's players and coaches. So how, how, how valuable is this partnership between New Zealand football and Ford as we move forward to that World Cup? Yeah, super, super exciting. We're so thankful for Ford for coming on board. Yeah, first ever major sponsorship deal. And so that's super exciting. And we hope it's just the beginning because, yeah, as you say, there's two more years until the World Cup in New Zealand. We need all the support we can. And it's so great that they've they've come on board now with two two more years coming so we can prepare, have more games to be more successful. So, yeah, it's it's super, super cool and we're so, yeah, so thankful for them. So that's great. Yeah, awesome stuff. Great on your Ford. Good stuff. And um, Betsy, thank you so much for, for joining us out of Korea 
the first episode of the Kiwi Football Fix for Season 2. We really appreciate your time. Go well on Saturday and Tuesday next week. We hope that you can score some goals and beat those Koreans. Thanks so much. My thanks to Betsy Hassett, Jason Pine and Alex Rufer for appearing on the very first episode of Season 2 of the Kiwi Football Fix. This weekend, this Saturday in particular, is massive for New Zealand football. You can catch the action here on Sky Sport. The Football Ferns up against Korea, that's at 6pm. And then, well, it's not closely followed on the heels. It's actually at the same time. The Wellington Phoenix men's side face the Central Coast Mariners at 7. Plenty of football to enjoy. Make sure you do enjoy it, and we'll see you next time on the Kiwi Football Fix.